All right, Jeremy, what do you have today? Uh, Picking up where we left off, Christian nationalism and how it's a Marxist line of uh, attack against us and a little bit of Kennedy. Uh, Did you know it was May Day? May Day. I've got May Day. Not today. Not today. Yesterday. That's why I said past tense. It was May Day. You don't sound like an enthusiastic comrade. Okay, people. Let's begin. Lift off! Get up, everybody! Are you ready to be baited with the truth? Good, because you're listening to the Truth Bait Podcast. I'm documentary filmmaker and podcaster Andrew Marcus, and with me always as we deconstruct America's propaganda war and reconstruct America's cultural narrative in our image. This documentary filmmaker and podcaster, the one and only Rebel Pundit, Jeremy Siegel! I am an enthusiastic comrade. <laughs> Is there any other kind of comrade? You better I'm be enthusiastic or you'll be in the gulag, comrade. baby. What? Yeah, just not when it comes to May Day. <laughs> You know what May Day is about, I don't like right? Like May Day. What's May yeah, Day? May about? Day's international. It's International Law Day. <laughs> what? What is International Law Day? Now I've not heard of that. You don't remember when I when I uh, when I interviewed Senator Dick Durbin years back at the May Day March in Chicago, and he was rallying on stage with thousands of open communists and Marxists, and I asked him why he was out there with all the on this international communist holiday and he said why would i say that and i'm like well you're out here with all the communists and he says may day is also law day my friend law day I what does that heard. mean yeah i don't even know it's, it's law, evidently he was there for law day with all of the marxists and communists and antifa that were out there marching on may day which is international communist holiday it marks the uh beginning of the eight hour work day i believe and the 40 hour work week and many other considered to be great achievements by uh big labor well that in the history of yeah. the workforce but it is the it really is a it's a it's a day of revolutionary marches around the world uh, you know, I asked our uh, co-producer, uh, producer GPT, um, about uh, about May Day, the origin of the May Day holiday, and doesn't it, it go back to Chicago? Well, this is what it says. It's it's even more interesting than that. May Day also known as International Workers' Day, is a public holiday celebrated on May 1st each year. Its origins, and by I, this is I'm doing producer GPT as a, like, he's like a DJ. <laughs> May Day, also known as International Workers' Day, is a public holiday celebrated on May 1st each year. Uh, its origins can be traced back to the 19th century labor movement in the United States and Europe. In 1886, a labor demonstration was held in Chicago 
uh, demanding an eight-hour workday. On May 4th, violence broke out between the police and the protesters, resulting in several deaths and injuries. This event, known as the Haymarket Affair, became a rallying cry for workers around the world. In 1889, the International Socialist Conference declared May 1st as International Workers' Day to commemorate the Haymarket Affair and to call for better working conditions and workers' rights. Since then, May Day has been celebrated by workers and labor organizations around the world. In some countries, it's it's a national holiday, while in others, it's observed as a day of protest and activism. The holiday has also been associated with various cultural and traditional festivities, such as Maypole dancing and the crowning of a May Queen. Uh, and I asked, I said, well, tell me more about this conference. Who were the main participants? And ChatGPT, uh, producer GPT says, the International Socialist Conference, also known as the International Workers' Congress, uh, were a series of conferences held by socialist and labor organizations from around the world. The conferences were held annually from 1889 to 1916 and were organized by the Second International, an organization of socialist and labor parties that aimed to coordinate the international socialist movement. And so I asked, well, what was their position on capitalism? <laughs> The participants of the International Socialist Conference held generally anti-capitalist views. They saw capitalism as a system that exploited workers and created economic inequality, and they advocated for its overthrow through the establishment of a socialist system. So I asked, well, what was their position on communism? The International Socialist Conferences generally supported the idea of communism, which is a form of socialism that aims for a classless society. <laughs> okay, so they're pro-communist. So I, then I asked, well, does the Socialist International still meet today? And it said the Second International, which organized the International Socialist Conferences in the late 19th and 20th centuries, dissolved in 1916 due to internal disagreements uh, and the outbreak of World War I. However, there have been several attempts to revive the spirit of the Second International, uh, and, uh, that is where we then get into, they, they launched the Socialist International. Socialist International is what exists today. And I don't know if you're aware of this, Jeremy, I think maybe you and I have spoken about this in the past, but there's a lot of, there's a number of prominent Americans who attend the Socialist International. Um, I, and I wanted to see if, producer GPT knew about this. Have any famous Americans attended Socialist International meetings? Yes, there have been several notable American politicians who have attended Socialist International meetings over the years. One prominent American uh, is Bernie Sanders. Uh, another notable is Barbara Lee. So two prominent Democrats. Uh, other American politicians who have attended Socialist International meetings include former Representative Dennis Kucinich, former Senator Tom Harkin, and former Governor Howard Dean. Uh, not to mention also Bill Clinton, AOC, Jesse Jackson. And this is this. Uh, you know, is, is Socialist International connected in any way to the original International Socialist Conferences? The SI has historical roots in the International Workingmen's Association, also known as the First International, which was founded in 1864 and aimed to unite workers and socialist organizations across national borders. Ladies and gentlemen, 
what this comes from, May Day comes from this socialist international, which its offspring still exists to this day. They reject capitalism. They embrace socialism and explicitly embrace communism. That it is. It's a socialist communist holiday. And and it's law day. And it's law day. Oh, and do you know what else it is, Jeremy? You didn't know this, did you? Yeah. WGN tells us it's actually, it's just about flowers. Listen to this is nuts. Imagine if you were on the street and somebody with a news crew camera came up to you celebrating May Day and suddenly you were live on air celebrating May Day. Happy May Day. Do you know what May Day is? It is. Uh, so I'm going to tell you because I didn't know either. It's a tradition where you leave flowers and candy at the doorstep of people and then you press the doorbell to make their day happy. That's what it is. <laughs> it's a ding dong ditch with flowers and candy. This is nuts. So this reporter was in uh, a Tony section of Lakeview uh, in Chicago and she's handing out flowers to people for May Day, because that's what she's just about, giving flowers away. It's so awesome. Isn't May Day wonderful? Oh, what's your I name? I My name is Ava. Thank grade. you, Ava. What's that? I think I learned that in first grade. We celebrated May Day, and it was just about flowers. It was just about flowers. You were celebrating yeah. it in, you, you, were you going to public school? Were you at Johns Hopkins? Yeah. Where were you? Government school. Yeah, so in Illinois. This exchange is interesting, because She's actually she's handing the flowers to a what I th- appears to me to be a, a Hispanic woman who is uh, has a toddler with her, but the toddler she's she's a nanny uh, for this toddler. It's like the perfect newsroom stereotype where you have the Hispanic nanny and the white baby in uh, Lakeview, which is adjacent to Lincoln Park. It's like the, the these are like the wealthiest areas in Chicago. Um. So it's like a cliche, this cliche. I don't even know. Is this woman even legal? <laughs> she, you know. Just, whoa, whoa, whoa. First of all, you don't even know if she identifies as Hispanic. I don't even know if she identifies as a You're woman. You're making I'm, that judgment based on how she looks. And sounds. Uh, and now you're questioning her legality. If I was, if this was my child, and now suddenly my child and my nanny are on the news, and she she gives she gives up the names like that, it it's just a big security risk. I don't like this at all. My name is Ava. Thank you, Ava. Yeah. And who's this little one? This is. Please identify the little minor you have. When and I take care of her. It's just getting, you know, the rain, so she's covered. But yeah, she's in this big plastic bubble. No <laughs> idea what's going on. But thank you so much for the flower. You ever heard of May Day? No. Well, there you go. So it's on spring. You give people free flowers to make their day happy. Okay, have you. a wonderful day. So that's two. What again? I'm making. I'll make the value judgment. I think it's two Hispanics in a row who had no idea what May Day was. And now they know May Day is about flowers. Now she's going to people's doors. She's walking up people's steps, going to their doors, putting down the flowers, ringing the doorbell and running away. A total ding dong ditch. (laughs) It's creepy. You come to your door and there's like a news crew outside your door and they're looking like they're hiding from you? Bizarre. Just be careful. Ring the bell. It's 9.30. They should be up. Just be quiet. You don't... Larry. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I don't 
know. Why are you running? I know. I'm not Ben Bradley. She's All right. Now, instead of ringing the bell, pound on the door and yell, "Police!" Stop it. FBI, open up. Oh, that's so funny in modern America. Wow. Yeah, I uh, I used to go to the uh, every year down at Haymarket, which is kind of down by it's the old uh, Fulton Meat Market District. Uh, that's where that event took place back in the 1800s, and uh, they have a reenactment every year where they all dress up in clothes that you know look like they're in the late 1800s and. They have uh, their workers protest, and they have the police. They weren't what was Antifa wearing were... in the eighteen hundreds? <laughs> um, you know, they have like those baggy knickers and stuff, <laughs> uh, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, mustaches and baggy knickers. So, Chapeaus. so they, right, right, yeah. So they, so they, um. So they they reenact the whole thing and they have this whole battle scene with the police. It actually was private police called the Pinkertons, I believe. They weren't actually like city police. Um, they were hired by the corporation that they were hired by the right hired by the industries and um, and there were uh, evidently uh, some anarchists. That part it sounds like ChatGBT left that out. They had some explosives. <laughs> And they blew up some bombs. That is mostly peaceful. Which they include in the reenactment. So I'm surprised ChatGPT missed that. But uh, yeah, there were some. Producer GPT. I didn't ask specifically about the violence. Let me ask. What should I ask? Was there any violence? Oh, wait, wait. No, let's not even ask that. Tell me. Tell me about the Haymarket event. Let's see what it says. The Haymarket event, also known as the Haymarket Affair or Haymarket Massacre, was or Haymarket Riots. <laughs> even they call it that. <laughs> Uh, was a violent confrontation that took place in Chicago, Illinois, United States, on May 4th, 1886. The event began as a peaceful rally, <laughs> always starts as a mostly peaceful rally, <laughs> in support of workers who were striking for an eight-hour workday. But it quickly turned into a violent clash between the police and protesters. The rally was held at Haymarket Square, a public plaza in Chicago's west side, and was attended by several thousand people, including workers, labor leaders, and socialists. Those speakers at the rally denounced the police violence that had been used against striking workers and called for an end to the system of wage slavery that kept workers in poverty and misery. As a rally was winding down, a group of police officers arrived to disperse the remaining crowd. A bomb was thrown into the midst of the police officers, killing one officer instantly and injuring several others. The police responded with gunfire, killing and injuring a number of protesters. Well, okay, so at least they they have who who made the first move. Uh, yeah, and they're known as the the ones that were killed, and then there were some that were arrested, and I think even later executed. They're known as the Haymarket Martyrs. Here, I'm asking. And it, I'm, I'm well. Here, I'm, I'm asking who who threw the bomb. The identity of the person who threw the bomb at the Haymarket event has never 
been definitively established. <laughs> after the after the incident, the police quickly arrested eight prominent anarchists and labor activists who had spoken at the rally and charged them with conspiracy and murder. Right. These individuals became known as the Haymarket Martyrs. Oh, and so the the cop buried. that was killed, the 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 security guy that was killed, he was not the martyr. <laughs> it was the right. and there and some of those men are buried in that cemetery out west yeah, in the end four um, of the defendants were executed one committed suicide in prison and the remaining three were eventually pardoned by the <laughs> so <laughs> if the others had just held on they would have gotten pardoned so they're buried out at that cemetery where mother jones is buried um, or is, I think it's a, is it Mother Jones? What, what Mother Jones there? was? Wasn't Mother Jones like on the side of the uh, the freeway between here and Cleveland? You and I stopped. No, on- they're right. That no, that's down by St. Louis. That's right. That's on the way to St. Louis. But there's some there's some other prominent uh, Emma Goldman, an old socialist communist battle axe. Um, she's buried there, I think. And there's the, it's it's a whole cemetery where there's this whole section of communist anarchists, martyrs, activists, people from this time. And so after they do the reenactment downtown, you know, by Haymarket, they reenact everything. They have the bomb, they have the arrest, they have the court hearing and blah, blah. And then they all go get drunk at the Haymarket bar uh, over there. It's a brewery that all the beers are named after you know communist thing they have like the they have like the living wage ale and stuff like that um so it's a big party day they march downtown and after that all the labor unions all these people they go down out to the west side to this cemetery and they have this vigil in the cemetery where it's all these marxists and communists they have communist flags soviet flags chinese flags and they all pay homage and honor uh, to all of the their forefathers, uh, they have a, at Haymarket now. There's a big communist statue monument uh, there, and so it's uh, it's the it's open, really a, embracing, and uh, joyful expression of communism in this country, and the media covers up for it. the 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 first clip that I played you that was from WGN, uh, the, the, where May Day is just about flowers. But WGN knows better. Here's another clip from WGN just an hour later. The May Day March is recognized nationally. It is also known as International Workers Day. Here in Chicago, organizers say they will be marching in recognition of immigrant workers and to deliver a letter to legislators demanding immigration reform and a path to citizenship. What we're asking for is to legalize and to give an immigration reform to our families, right? We have seen that during the pandemic, they were the frontline workers who were fighting, who were the essential workers who fought to maintain uh, the economy of our of our country and so we best believe that it's that it's them who now deserve to get an immigration reform you know what's amazing about that jeremy uh, i remember covid do you remember covid what was that yeah that was when we uh locked down and all lost our our freedoms well actually that was when we all realized that our freedoms had been taken from us at some time prior to that but yeah that was uh i, I remember you know who i remember on the front lines delivering packages to all the elites as they cozied up by their fireplace and their computers and their cups of coffee and cocoa and tea. Who was that? Yeah, a lot of black people. I remember a lot of black people working. I don't, 
I'm not sure how the message of uh, illegal immigrants, illegal aliens being given amnesty is really the message of labor that they're looking for. Because isn't just about every one of these illegal aliens who ends up on a on a pathway to citizenship basically going to be competing with black people for those jobs? In many places, yes. So WGN, while they're soft selling the flowers in the morning, <laughs> they they know full well that this is a, a International Workers Day, commie holiday. I remember running into Jay Levine out there because, and I was, I was, I started interviewing him on camera why he was not, you know, exposing the truth about it. And I was, I was asking him about all the anarchists that are here. And he's like, what anarchists? Where are they? I mean, they were right in front of his face. <laughs> he's literally he's Jeremy, right there. He's literally paid black. not to see them. Okay. Right. <laughs> That's his job is to not see them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I think he was over at the brewery most of the morning. So, well, the, the, the whole My theme point. of this, the whole theme of this year's was uh, 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 amnesty. Immigration amnesty, illegal immigration be, yeah, amnesty. Yeah, and it's it's been it's been it, it it sort of started adopting that back when when I was going there every year. If you're a member of the black the community, that, though, doesn't that make you furious? Well, I don't think you see too many black people out there in this march, unless they're part of a union. That it's not. It's it's mostly white people. It's mostly Hispanics, and it's mostly people marching with Che Guevara T-shirts and flags. And you're right. A lot of that. A lot of are, fists. Uh, really Marxist. It's really just mostly Marxist activists and 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 Marxist labor. And then, of course, they get a lot of rank and file labor out there that may may not actually be uh, Marxist themselves, but they have to come out in solidarity, or they you know they're scabs and they get uh, in trouble at work. Well, here let me let me race let me let me race through these last two parts here because I know I, I want to get to what I want to get to what you've got on white on. Christian national, not white national, and Christian Christian nationalism. Well, um, the, it's the same. Thing. Right, the that's same right. Thing. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, uh, uh, NBC. The, the, speaking of the, the only black person I found in any of this footage was this one anchor who has to uh, introduce this segment on NBC, and it is. Uh, this is a. They don't even mention May Day in this, but it is a May Day segment because when they toss to the. Uh, reporter in the field, it's a big May Day banner that they're that they're all talking in front of. But the entire message of this of this segment is immigration. And this, uh, I just, I don't know. Maybe I'm reading way too much into it race wise. But when I see this black anchor ha- introduces this segment about uh, May Day, and it's all about Hispanic uh, Hispanic labor. Hi, to me, that's got to that's a bit. That seems like it's got to be a little bit painful. It's bit or bitter, at least a little bitter. Community leaders and faith activists joined immigrant families. And they even made him do it in a really white voice, which I think is incredibly insulting. Community leaders and faith activists joined immigrant. Is that racist for me to say that? Yeah. Are we going to lose sponsors? I'm not trying to be <laughs> racist. It's honest. The guy's got, he, he's got a, a whiter voice than I have. 
Community leaders and faith activists joined immigrant families today. They're demanding Senator Dick Durbin and President Joe Biden deliver on promises made during former President Barack Obama's time in office to legalize millions of undocumented immigrant workers. NBC 5's Karen Aguilar has more. Migrants, activists, community leaders and members demand immigration reform for undocumented workers. The only thing that we want is to work in this country, have a social security card, residency, with an easier path to citizenship. Arellano says former President Barack Obama promised an immigration reform bill protecting millions of undocumented workers. But Arellano says it wasn't kept. It's she is uh, this woman that they're speaking to. I don't know if you remember the story of the woman and her infant who took up refuge in a church here in Chicago. And the the church refused to let uh, ICE come in and take her. She was an illegal alien, and her son was born here. So it became the narrative flashpoint about how can you separate these families? And uh, that was when Chicago declared itself a sanctuary city. Do you remember that story? Mm. Not vaguely. So listen to, listen to what she says. Listen, there's something that just really jumped out at me. Let's see if it catches you. But Arellano says it wasn't kept. It's an issue close to her heart. She showed me where she slept for a year in a sanctuary church with her young son to avoid deportation. Eventually, she was deported. But she says when she came back to Chicago, not much changed. Por años luchamos. For years we fought, and still we see no immigration reform. But Arellano is holding out hope and fighting for change. Did you happen to catch what what the crazy thing is about that, that comment? Listen to it again. Eventually, was she was deported. But she says when she came back to Chicago, not much changed. When, oh, <laughs> when she just came back to Chicago? She just came she back to visit? She and came back. Just came back? Yeah. In other words, when she illegally crossed again. <laughs> but there she is just getting an interview on the news. Well, you know their mass line out of the shadows and into the streets. Undocumented, unafraid. They don't need to be. So, you know, did you also see this is the, and this is just where it's it's it becomes incredibly topical because. Uh, and not just because of May Day, but because on, on May Day, the news broke that Lori Lightfoot wrote a letter to Governor Abbott in Texas begging him to stop sending illegal aliens. And she doesn't even what? call them illegal aliens. She said, this is even worse. She's saying, stop sending immigrants. It would be, I might have some sympathy for her if she was saying, please stop sending illegals. no. Sanctuary City Chicago is saying, no more immigrants. No more immigrants. Lori Lightfoot sends a letter to Texas Governor Greg Abbott tonight admonishing him over a plan to send more busloads of migrants to Chicago. The mayor says the city has no more shelter space available, blasting the governor for creating a, quote, humanitarian crisis. Good evening, guys. Yeah, that's right. That letter was sent today saying Chicago has accepted over 8,000 migrants since last summer, and the resources here have all but dried up, with the mayor calling on Greg Abbott to work with her, not against her. 
migrants are set to arrive in Chicago from Texas starting Monday. And may- <laughs> starting Monday. I like how they found an immigrant to give the news report. <laughs> it's yeah. perfect. Air Laurie Lightfoot is asking Governor Greg Abbott to stop. In a letter sent today, she writes, we simply have no more shelters, spaces or resources to accommodate an increase of individuals at this level. Chicago has welcomed more than 8,000 asylum seekers since last August, with Lightfoot saying many of those who've been bussed here were in dire need of basic resources. Some were in active labour and others had been victims of sexual assault. Her letter to Abbott states, I know by your actions that you either do not see or do not care about the trauma these migrants have already faced and continue to suffer under the humanitarian crisis you have created. But I beseech you anyway, treat these individuals with the respect and dignity that they deserve. And keep them away from me. <laughs> yeah. And this is just, I'm just going to well, play, I'm, I'm, I just want to play one flashback. Because that was WGN as well. And this is the flashback again from WGN. WGN, they're really all over the place. They can take every position on any issue. Robert Guadian is the new Chicago field office director for ICE. This is three years ago. Today, he spoke about ICE's mission and its goals in a sanctuary city like Chicago, a city that openly prohibits local law enforcement from assisting ICE in any way. Among today's protesters, Mayor Lightfoot. We will reject in the strongest terms possible the characterization of the good, hardworking people that represent the immigrant and refugee communities, not only here in Chicago, but across the country. ICE says they don't conduct raids, but rather targeted arrests. And they do not work alongside local law enforcement, including CPD, to make these arrests. But Guanian says the pushback from the city of Chicago to arrest these individuals committing crimes is detrimental. Last year, ICE issued more than 1,000 detainers in Cook County. Cook County denied all of them. Mayor Lightfoot remains strongly against its mission. We stand united with our immigrant and refugee neighbors, brothers and sisters because it is the only moral choice. As long as they stay in Texas. (laughs) Yeah, well, I agree with Lori. Which part? Where are you? Give it to me. You're, I don't want. I I a, a lot of people like to you know champion this cause of Abbott and DeSantis sending busloads of people up to Chicago or New York or you know basically up north, and uh, I don't want them. Well, tell me why you don't want them. I think they need to go be sent back. They need to be deported. But that's but, so but that's under, not happening. So what is so, Texas supposed to do? They're supposed to just keep them Texas and just die? Supposed, no, Texas is supposed to deport them. Yeah, but they're not. Right. No, they're they're helping them get further into the interior. And not only that, Jeremy, this is a money grab. They're not actually upset at Abbott. And I have a CB, I wasn't even going to play this, but since you tripped into it, I'll just play the end of this. CBS 2 talking about this. You heard that right. $7,000 a month, according to the alderman. That computes to $225 a day per migrant. The city's budget director told committee members that when federal and state reimbursements do come, Chicago could still be left with more than a $50 million gap. Her proposal to the council used 2021 surplus funds. They're meant for an emergency, and no one was shy about calling this a crisis today. 
Yeah. So the story really is to set up the move for them to grab uh, from some alleged surplus. I don't know where they, they uh, clearly they have a spreadsheet somewhere with a cell that has a surplus number typed into <laughs> yeah, it. Right. I don't know what surplus they're talking but about. But I'm telling, I'm like, I, you live in Chicago. I don't want them sending, sending criminals and, and people, illegal aliens into Chicago. I do. I do. You no, in I danger. Do. I do. I absolutely do. This is the only way that these these snobbish, elitist progressives wake up is when they are forced to live well, by the disaster you. they've created. It is. I'm loving watching these Hold people. On a minute. Like, oh my god, how could you do this? This is let terrible. Me, okay. We're overwhelmed. You're overwhelmed. See, I get it. See, I get it. I get the idea. I get the idea behind it, and I and and it and it's like a feel good, basically. No, I don't see to, it as a to feel. See, oh, I disagree. It's, it's not a feel good, okay, Jeremy. It's, you, it is. What you just said is it is it is it. It's the only thing that gets these people like Lightfoot and Adams in New York and whoever to wake up. No, you I'm really talking about your average citizen. Your average citizen. The only way your average citizen wakes up to the nightmare of progressivism is when it's a a, a thug pointing a gun in their face. Suddenly they realize there's a problem. That's what it's going to take. They have to feel the pain of their own decisions. I'm, I'm shocked well, how much they haven't felt it up until now. <laughs> well, I don't know because they just shot down Lori and brought in Brandon, who's even more radical right, in I this know. way. Because they have not, they're so not done learning it yet, get them to wait. It's a learning okay. process and they're not done learning. Yeah, see, I don't see, I, <laughs> I, I don't think it does get them to learn. I don't think it does get them to wake up. And I think that it's a, I, I think it's a, it's a, I, I really think Abbott and DeSantis are committing criminal behavior by doing this. Well, okay. And but, but, it, I think it's treasonous. Let's take it let's take it a step above the current context that we're discussing this in. We need the labor. We in a best case scenario, our government would be uh operated by adults who would communicate that we need the labor and create a mechanism by which to bring the labor in so that everybody understands it's by a set uh a playbook of rules, and there isn't chaos, which they love the chaos. The media loves the chaos. The government loves the chaos. They all thrive on the chaos. But we need the labor. We're in a war with China, whether most people realize it or not. We're, we're reshoring, uh, and not just our shores, but any, any shore other than China or the countries in their sphere. It's coming back here. We need the labor. And I, uh, other than your family, Americans aren't reproducing. <laughs> so we we hey, have to have We're not labor. even close to we're not even close to other families we know. We're just trying to catch up. <laughs> so to me what I what I think is really the crime is that is that our system creates this chaotic situation where all of these people are in complete limbo and Americans are furious and th- and feel threatened and they should that's the real well, crime. Then vote, then vote Brandon Johnson. Yes, you know, and you know, I love that outcome too. That's I to me. That's the that was the honest outcome for this disgusting commie city. 
that used well, to be very good. It used to used to be a great, a really cool city. Has potential to be cool again, but none of these, none of it is going to matter until Christians take over the government and run everything. <laughs> That's where you're going with this. Okay, wait. Before we <laughs> before we do that, before we transition to you, I, let let's 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 do this. It's pretty amazing we got there in 36 minutes, Jeremy. I was hoping you were going to interrupt my segment with it. <laughs> no, let's do it now. Let's get it out of the way so we can focus just on you. Ladies and gentlemen, we've reached that point in the program where we get to tell you how this works. You might have noticed we don't have any corporate sponsors. We do not have any relationship with Bud Light. <laughs> no relationship with Pfizer. And that is why we're able to... Oh, Dominion, too. We turned well, them down. They wanted to sponsor us. We said, no, we're not taking your because dirty we're money. Not, it's because we're not good enough. Uh, <laughs> we are better. <laughs> uh, we only have citizen sponsors. We have active listeners. Our our listeners are our, our, our producers. That's hard to say. Our listeners are our producers. This is how we do this. This is how we can bring you this show, a brutally honest show that brings you the truth. Uh, and there are any number of ways that you can bring value to this program. If you feel that you're receiving value listening to this program, then why not give back? Give back to this program. Easiest way to give back to the program, share the show. Right, Jeremy? Sharing the show is the most important thing. Uh, and... People have been sharing the show, so for uh, you fellow truth spewers out there, <laughs> thank you, <laughs> who have been sharing the show, thank you for that. Uh, sharing the show is the most important way to participate right now, as well as uh, writing comments, go on Apple Podcasts, and uh, you can write a review there. You can also uh, put a five-star rating, and I think Spotify also takes five-star ratings. Those are the two biggest platforms where uh, people can find the show. So if you're listening on those platforms, or if you're not, go over to them and listen and give it a good rating. That is very helpful for us. Um, if you think of the times people send you something to watch or listen to, or just when you're searching for something that you're interested in and you have a choice of five different podcasts about it, one of them's got one star and the other has five. Which one are you going to listen to? So uh, definitely, that's it's critical. The other critical, I think, I think the most fun way to participate is by writing in, sending us your your feedback, also sending stories, but even just uh, to to carry on the conversation. Um, you know, did you agree with the with our views on some of the stuff we've talked about? Do you have different views to add? Because we certainly don't have it all figured out. Uh, I mean, the one thing we have figured out is the media is lying and the government's lying. And you know, there are ways we can look at things and 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 try to uh, distinguish the truth. And that's what we're trying to help. Uh, people be able to do uh, but a lot of people out there are uh, very very capable of uh, coming up with some really good thoughts of their own one of the comments I got this week 
from Jenny in Wisconsin was, I love the podcast because it validates all of my crazy thoughts. (laughs) This is for you. Tinfoil for you. I'm fashioning a hat for you. Write us with your address. We'll send that to you. So I, and I, and I think it's great. Um, You know, and I think it, 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 it's going to be, it, it makes it, I think it makes it, uh, more fun. People want to participate by writing in, writing in their thoughts, um, to be shared with the other listeners and, uh, listener participation is, is going to be a huge, uh, factor in how this show, you know, evolves and what it evolves into. You remember some of our, our other, uh, people who sent us, uh, uh, comments about how much they love the show. They're just hilarious. Great show. Good show. show. (laughs) My favorite show. Yeah. Yeah, that was amazing that day when we were out at Taste of Chicago just interviewing people about (laughs) Truthbait and everybody knew about it. Do you know what people loved most about it, Jeremy? It's stupid. Stupid. Makes me laugh. And that's the effect we have. That's right. <laughs> I'm proving it right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you're getting your money's worth out of that. <laughs> Our money's worth, still, Jeremy. <laughs> still using it. <laughs> uh, the other way to contribute will eventually be financially. If you're unable to... Uh, you know, think clearly enough to write coherent thoughts about what we're talking about <laughs> and participate in the conversation, then uh, you can just send us your hard-earned money. Well, there's all sorts and, of different people out there, all sorts of different listeners, and there's just myriad ways that you can give back in, in a way that is appropriate for you. And uh, yes, when we get the financial aspect of it, uh, we're definitely going to be, we're going to immediately throw up the walls. We're going to have a a, a subscription model. And I think it's going to, what did we say last time, Jeremy? A thousand a month to listen to the show, something like that. Yeah. We're open to suggestion. Seems like a fair price. The other thing is we need people who actually can really help like with promotion and marketing or if people know how to use Social media, we're trying to get some social media pages going, like on Twitter and Facebook and stuff like that, where follow us uh, on the Twitter. show can be shared. At Truthbait. So uh, it'd be great if there's some potential young intern out there that maybe wants to sort of take on that uh, role where they can help to uh, send out tweets or, or posts to be able to uh, promote the show. That would be very helpful right now would it not did anybody get the last word the secret word from the last episode unless someone sent it to you nope. i haven't gotten it no nope. wasn't it uh i think i remember it wasn't what, it do i win a prize it was like I think fire it was chainsaw chainsaw that's right it was chainsaw chainsaw yeah because i was cutting down trees last week it is usually just something so, right in front of you right I love working with chainsaws. The problem is it's easy to cut trees down. So like you, like if you're like me and you just have a thousand trees that need to be cut down, it's, you just go out with a chainsaw, you start cutting, but like in 20 minutes, 
you realize you have a pile of like six weeks of work to clean up. It, that's the hard part is getting the logs organized and, and piles of trees lying there that you got to clean up mm. now. You know, it's like timber. That part's fun. That's you know? why you have 12 children, Jeremy. You make them do that part. <laughs> so, uh, someday. oh yeah. So write it, write us, write us truth at truthbait.com. Truth at truthbait.com. Yeah, please. I was cornered by somebody at church Sunday who didn't agree with some of my comments about uh, environmentalism and uh, corporate agriculture using too many chemicals potentially in the soil when we were talking about Ken- Robert Kennedy ah. being environmentalist. And uh, he just grabbed my arm. He pulled me aside. He's like, stop bad-mouthing farmers. I didn't know what to do. I got scared. I thought he was going to attack me. This was in church. <laughs> this is no, – I love this. This is great feedback. And what right was away, the point? What was, was like, his, what was his point? He's, like, tired of people complaining about farmers. He's a farmer. We should have him on. And, and I was like, hey, buddy, email <laughs> truth at truth bay podcast or truth at truth bait.com okay i don't know jeremy like, if, somebody, wanna, if, I, if we have a listeners in church with you i think they should come right up to you <laughs> i like that <laughs> i'm like i gotta i'm like we're gonna call you we're gonna call you while we're recording absolutely i it. want him on air absolutely uh i'm exaggerating a little bit he he didn't grab my arm he didn't yell at me <laughs> He came to me very politely. I have a feeling your your church community is much nicer than that. Uh, But it it was great to receive the feedback, and uh, he made some very valid points. My point there was actually not to criticize farmers. It was really more to talk about the way narratives are are created to keep us divided. But I found his points to be valid. He, he felt like farmers get attacked too often for using chemicals when they're very beneficial for producing an abundance of food and better crop yields. And uh, so he, he just felt a little bit, um, you know, like, like farmers get a bad rep, you know, rep, bad reputation out there. Well, I would bet like uh, much but, like uh, hunters don't, uh, get the credit they deserve in terms of being uh, environmentalist and conservationist yeah, right. and really caring about the wildlife. I would imagine Absolutely. the same is very true for farmers. Who could possibly care more about their land than them? Right. Absolutely. Um, so anyways, but I thought, hey, this is the kind of thing we want you to write in about, you know, when there is some, you know, uh, maybe we need to clarify something or maybe we need to be called out about something or at least, uh, you know, get to the bottom of something uh, in a way that, you know, everybody can have their opinion and realize that uh, some things we disagree on or some things we agree on that we thought we disagreed on. So uh, please send those comments in. Uh, And somebody did send something. Uh, Janice in Arizona sent in a clip last night. Let's see, when did this come in? Came in late last night. Yeah, it was almost around midnight. Um, And it is a clip. She says, can you forward this to Jeremy? They talk about the evils of Christian nationalists. I'd love to, uh, I'd love you to listen to it too. So, Janice, unfortunately, I I got this late last night. I have not had a chance to share it with Jeremy or even listen through it myself, uh, which is unfortunate because of today's segment. But I have a feeling that your segment 
is not a one-off. That this is a topic that is going to be uh, prevalent going forward because this is one of their ops, and uh, so yeah, I'm sure we'll today. have an opportunity to get to get to what you sent in, Janice. I just wanted to make sure to recognize you did send it in, and it, that is that means a lot because it means you are absolutely paying very close attention to what we're talking about, and you are finding content related to it and sending it in, and that is how this show works. You are the producers of this show. The show can be a lot of what you want it to be. And that's all I have to say yes. about that. And uh, yeah, it's too bad I didn't get to hear that ahead of time. It probably is something that fits right in. I would say that uh, you are correct, Andrew, that this uh, this is going to be like a, I think, a Christian nationalism sort of 101, kind of the the basics of what we're looking at and why people are starting to hear about it so much what um, is christian nationalism well you tell me because you are a christian nationalist <laughs> i assume it must just i'm supposed to just think of the clan weren't they burning crosses uh, demanding supremacy well that's what you're supposed to think about yes but you're you're you consider yourself to lean to the right side of the political spectrum am i right I am a firm lover and supporter of the Constitution, and today that means, yes, I am on the right. And you would consider yourself to be patriotic. You love America. Yes, right. I love our I, – I feel like I have to, to <laughs> clarify all of this. I love our Constitution. I am absolutely disgusted by our current culture. Okay. And would you say that you have a bit of skepticism maybe in uh, the accuracy of the outcome of some of our elections? The election was stolen. Our elections have been stolen for quite some time. Uh, I think we need to really examine looking back at least as far as Obama's re-election, which defied gravity. Yes. You, I am very you ever skeptical. Find your, <laughs> do you ever find yourself feeling sympathetic? to people like Christians or yes. Jews, Israel yes. supporters, yes. Uh, that they may sometimes be getting treated unfairly or yes. attacked unfairly. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, I'm going to tell you. What's, my, you. what's the diagnosis, doctor? You, you sound exactly like a Christian nationalist. I knew it. Is there medication? <laughs> <laughs> is there something I can take? No. What if I eat homentashen with uh, made from the blood of Palestinians? Am I Jewish again? You will need to be clinging to your guns and your Bible, my friend. That's your only hope. If you're there alongside me, I'm there. Let's do it. Okay, so 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 Christian nationalism. It's still. It's, it's becoming very prevalent very quickly. And in some cases, it's still a bit under the radar. No, wait, I'm sorry. Let me just clarify. When you say it's becoming something, do you mean people are becoming or identifying as Christian nationalists more and more, or, or it's becoming an issue more and more? Well, it's sort of both. Okay. And so it is a real thing that is happening. Right. So, yeah, like there's this guy that has sort of sparked a lot of commentary and speculation and 
in uh, discussion of Christian nationalism, and his name is Stephen Wolf, and he wrote a book. I think the book is called The Case for Christian Nationalism. And so basically, like last week, I would say was really for me, because I don't just sit and hang out on Twitter, but people were starting to text me about Christian nationalism blowing up on Twitter. And, you know, more people are starting to hear about it. And this guy, uh, Stephen Wolf, I don't know really anything about him except he wrote this book, The Case for Christian Nationalism. I'm pretty sure that's what it's called. Uh, if it's not, it's something very similar. I just saw it in in this video, and he has a. I'm, I clipped just part of what his explanation of it is, but 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 be clear that something is going on here, and really, you don't need to get bogged down with what Christian nationalism is or isn't relate how and how is as far as how it relates to your christian identity because it, it the term itself has been brought out as a dialectical attack against you and your identity but here's stephen wolf and this is sort of what i think has gotten a lot of things kicked off and this will just sort of give you a background on his argument. Uh, just real quick before the you term- do, it, it is the case for Christian nationalism. Uh, the paperback was published in November of 22. Okay, so here you go. The term Christian nationalism has been thrown around a lot lately, most of the time as a way to dismiss or mock anyone who wants to engage in politics as a Christian. But those of us who look to the broad Christian tradition should seize the term for ourselves. We are indeed Christian nationalists. The nation is not a mere collection of people, but a people united around a set of shared loves. Some of these loves are universal in all nations, such as the love of family and home. Other loves are more particular to each nation, such as shared culture, language, and national struggles and achievements. Okay, I don't need to play the whole thing. Uh, you can find it. I think it was Canon Press that tweeted this out. Um, but you get the idea that this guy that wrote the book, he says very clearly right there, Christian nationalism is something we should embrace. Um, you know, that this is a good thing, right? And as a Christian uh, myself and, 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 and many I know uh, – there's there's probably part of you uh, that might agree with this, you know, because you don't think you know being a Christian is a is a bad thing, and uh, you think that we probably have some good ideas uh, relating to how the culture in general and and society should be governed, and most people agree or maybe not most anymore, but for a couple hundred years, most people agreed that the laws in in this country stemmed from Judeo-Christian and biblical concepts and values. Um, So what he's saying may not sound so crazy. Sorry, I think my dogs are going to start up now. Uh, There must be somebody here. So if you hear the dogs, I apologize. No, they're just very uh, in support of Christian nationalism. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, If you go to, 
if, if you go on Twitter and search Christian nationalism, it's been trending. There's all kinds of people talking about Christian nationalism. Um, but I'm going to play um, – uh, this This is going to take me to, to Steve Coughlin, who we talk about all the time. And he was talking about Christian nationalism. And I'm going to play a clip of him describing intersectionality and how Christian nationalism comes into this and is coming into this now as a line of attack. It's an intersectional line of attack, it's called. And, and so listen to what he says. So what is intersectionality? That is to take a value, a value that it's held in a culture, okay? And they're going to create, make up a phony term. And then they're going to give that term every negative attribute they can come up with that they're focusing. So patriotic Christians, we come now Christian nationalists. And it will be defined negatively. And the point will be in the media to collide the one with the other in what would be called in, in the language of Marxism and negation. And it's as simple as that. So what they do is they create these intersectional lines of operation. Black Lives Matter. What does that do? It attacks on race. LGBT says that we demand that you accept our metaphysical claim of gender over the scientifically verified fact in biology of sex. That's what this is all about. And it's all about intimidating people. So, the, so, the, so his argument here is the term Christian nationalism, just like Black Lives Matter, just like woke, just like other terms that have come and bubbled out, this is a term that is coming forth with negative connotations attached to it from the get-go. Like MAGA Republicans. Right. So... So his, his so so an intersectional line of effort is they start using the term Christian nationalism and Christian nationalism means racist, bigoted, right. xenophobic, uh, election denier, global warming denier, anything negative they can associate with that term. That's what you are and because you're a christian or because you might have some uh sympathetic tendencies toward christian culture or christian people uh this makes you inherently racist xenophobic bigoted what have you and um it it's interesting because you can trace all of the christian nationalism the, the beginnings of this term, not to Stephen Wolf and his book, and that I would agree with Stephen Coglin and say that Stephen Wolf is wrong. This is not something that should be embraced. Um, is it goes right back to January 6th. And you can go on Twitter and search Christian nationalism and J6 and going all the way back to January 6, 2020, you will see 
people everywhere. Christ, here's one. William Wolfe, Christian nationalism, drove J6. Uh, now it's embraced the big lie and wants to conquer America. Um, Christian nationalism uh, is not about white supremacy, but about religious extremism. Yes, yeah, new, uh, new report on white Christian nationalism and the J6 insurrection shows just how dire the threat is. Right. That was from okay. February of 22. But you can go, you can go all the way back to 2020. Uh, one in particular is a guy named Tisby. He was tweeting about it right then. Um, and so this... Right away at January 6th insurrection is that term Christian nationalism or Christian nationalist started to bubble out. And as we've talked about before about dialectical attacks, it seems like this is one of those bombs that was launched on January 6th when we were still in the middle of dealing with a coup and the election being stolen, and then all of a sudden, the melee that was going on at the Capitol, this bomb was detonated. And now we're sort of in the middle of it. And and what it's causing is a big debate and divide around... Uh, the Christian community and then around the non-Christian or secular community that tends to be conservative um, because it's being used as a, as a big scare tactic um, or it's, it's among the Christian community. You've got people like Stephen Wolf saying, this is something that needs to be embraced. And then you've got other people saying, no, this is not, you know, biblical or this isn't what the gospel is. But the th the thing is, 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 I think as Stephen Coughlin, I'll bring a few more clips of him into this, points out that that's, that's not really the issue there. And if we get in the middle of that argument, we're in the argument that they right. want us in. Everything you're describing is so far the like the dream scenario for whoever put this out there because if the community is having a debate about it that's a win if you're having if you're spending any time on it that's the win right so here's a guy who uh, I'm a little bit familiar with he's a pastor uh, kind of public uh, podcaster um, you know public speaking circuit type pastor's name's James White and I think that this is to me this is what's interesting what he says about Christian nationalism right now you've got a bunch of people that are struggling with new terminology and new realities and and I had never even heard the term Christian nationalist until just a couple years ago maybe maybe I don't think any more than two years ago. I, I, I don't think so, anyways. When I first heard it, I was like, what now? What 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 is this now? And that means it's still being defined. We've got all sorts of new terminology. We've got all sorts of new pressures coming against us. 
and we aren't doing a really good job. Okay, now I thought that was interesting when I heard it, is that to him, this guy's been around a long time. Okay, he's no he's not somebody new and he's actually pretty popular as a pastor. And you know, what does he say there? I he I've never heard this term until about two years ago. Okay. And then you have this guy, Tom Askell. He's another one. And I think what he says is very enlightening. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's fascinating to me. I've had uh, three reporters over the last three months contact me because they wanted to interview a Christian nationalist. And uh, I gave them your number. Did you? Well, where did they get this? You know. Uh, now what's happening here is there's a there's a, a, a like a summit, you know, conference type event, and you've got a bunch of prominent pastors on the stage, and the topic is Christian nationalism. And to me, the most interesting part of the whole conversation is kind of what he says here, that this is a few months ago, I started getting calls from reporters about Christian nationalism. This isn't a guy that was going around preaching about Christian nationalism or... No, but you're saying he's taking part on, in an event that is centered around Christian nationalism? He is now, yes. Oh, okay. Okay. I see. I see. He is currently now, and this is, I think, pretty current. But what he's saying here, what I think that the, the, that's the. But he went from not of, hearing about it at all until a few months ago to suddenly there's already a convention in place or a, a media a gathering in place centered around Christian nationalism. Right. Okay. So he's talking. So this this whole thing is about Christian nationalism, and he's asked about it, and he's saying how a few months ago, just like James White was saying, he had never heard of it. Now this guy, Tom Askell, saying reporters started contacting him out of nowhere looking for interviews and commentary on Christian nationalism. I'd like to play a little bit more of this. I mean, it was really funny. One guy called me a Christian nationalist on social media, and uh, I, I think I said something like, you know, you're a liar or, this, or something. Why would you say something that you don't know it's true? He took offense. So we, we talked back privately. And I said, what do you mean by Christian nationalism? And so he gives me his litany. I said, I'm not that. He said, well, well, I thought you were because, you know, you're against abortion and, you know, you don't think LGBTQ stuff ought to be publicized. Wow. I said, yeah, but I'm not what you just said I am. And in his mind, there was just this, you know, obvious connection that if yeah. you have those views and you've got to be everything else they accuse you of. Uh, another guy, a CNN reporter, contacted me. He said, we want uh, a leading voice in Christian nationalism to be represented. I said, who told you I was that? And some, some leftist journalist called me. That, that. one was Vody. Yeah, okay, Vody. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, well, I tell you, you send me a list of questions, and I'll, you know, I'll answer them. So he, he wrote a list of questions. I answered them, and he writes me back. He says, thank you. This is very thoughtful. I said, I don't think I can use any of this. <laughs> <laughs> it's very thoughtful. I can't use thoughtful content. <laughs> <laughs> Basically... Tom Askell was going to answer questions honestly in the way he would, and they don't fit into the narrative uh, that uh, that writer wanted to write or convey about Christian nationalism. But what I thought was interesting about 
those two guys' comments is it it's sort of I, I'm using those to show you that this is there are pastors out there and there are some prominent ones out there and there are guys like Stephen Wolf who wrote the book all right that are embracing this thing all right and they are pushing it but then there are others out there who are like hold on a minute I don't even I don't even know what this is. Vody Bacham is another one, and he goes on to explain a little bit. Here. Hi, Vody. Are you a Christian nationalist? <laughs> it, it, it depends. Okay. Like- now, I think that's a dangerous response, but I still think it's an interesting right, it's, one. Right, because it's validating that this thing exists. Right. It gives them the boogeyman. On- right. I mean, to say it depends opens up the door for the debate right and into whether christian nationalism is good or whether it's bad or what right. it gives them their narrative really. playing ground right so I, I i i think many ways his response is good but i do find it to be somewhat dangerous on who's asking why they're asking and what their definition is and usually um most times, if somebody's asking the question like that, mm-hmm. almost always when I find out what their, definition, what their definition is and why they're asking, almost always it ends up being a no. Because if somebody comes up and they go, are you a Christian nationalist? They're usually talking about that wide-eyed, wrap the Bible and the cross and the flag. You, you, you know what I mean? They, that caricature mm-hmm. that almost nobody is, you know? So what I found is when people are asking the question that way, and you press back, you know, what do you mean? How are you defining it? Um, it the answer is almost always a no. Mm-hmm. But um, when people are, you know, like when you're reading, um, you know, taking America back for God, and you look at the list of questions, you know, I finish that and I go, well, well, yeah. <laughs> Um, yes, of course I am, you know. Sign me up in the State Department. I'm a new ambassador. You know, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and, I know, and it may sound like I'm being coy or, you know, trying to dodge or whatever, but it, it, it's not that. It's just that this is actually a tool. It, it's meant as a pejorative, you know, and, and it's meant as a dodge. Um, so th- that that's why it's this approach. I mean, I'm not a guy who's embarrassed or ashamed of you know who i am or what i believe or whatever but i'm also not a fool who's going to let myself be trapped uh you know by 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 questions like that now this is a guy i like i i personally think he's a really great bible teacher and preacher but in his response there i i think he actually did fall into the trap because of he he did get there and he talked about it being used as a pejorative but in the next couple clips i'm going to bring from steve coglin coglin again is going to explain how that that's you know how we're being put right where they want us and he's sort of you know dancing around that you know depends who's asking whether it's good or or bad, like, like. let me ask you, Andrew Marcus, are you a Christian nationalist? No. I'm not. Wrong answer. Wrong answer. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not Christian. I am a nationalist. I guess I'm a Jewish nationalist. Okay, but... I'm so a nationalist who is Jewish. I mean, that's the, that's the 
you know, you can be a nationalist who is Christian. Does that make you a Christian nationalist? See, that what they're building is, is implicitly nationalist means supremacist. That's what they well, want in well, your mind. Sort of. I think I think yes, I don't disagree with that, but I think going back to my my initial comments is is what they're building and what they built is it's what Coglin said, it's an inter, it's an intersectional attack. Yes. And and it's just it they they have already branded and released the term to be used is is it's it's already negative no matter what so really when you say you are or you say you aren't it doesn't matter and that's what he's going to argue here because when you're talking about it you're ba- you're in which he doesn't call here but he calls in other places you're in the sorcerer's circle you're there talking about what they want you talking about and as long as you're doing that you're furthering the narrative and you're furthering the efficacy of the attack against you so listen to these two clips about and think about with with a with a thought of how you would respond possibly differently than yes or no you now have to take classes in a place like a church to find out what your American history is anymore. And your kids are being told something that gets them so spun up, you can't even talk to your kids. That's not a, that is an outcome. Whether directly or indirectly, the Christian nationalism narrative is designed uh, to tie into Marxist critical race theory efforts that identify all American institutions as racists. As noted, it's an intersectional line of effort. And this jumps ahead. I think one of the things we're trying to build out is everything we're seeing is not random. It's not in the air. So there's something called semantic Marxism, and part of semantic Marxism is something called um, discourse theory. And discourse theory has a large explanation, but basically at the end of the day, it means we get to get up and say what we want, and we get to turn the mic off on you. Yeah. And I think that we have to understand that that is a specific line of attack, and that we have to organize to, to push back that attack. So then here's how he explains to to push back. I was going to ask because this is all leading up to the inevitable question, which is, well, what do you do? Right. And in many ways, and he brings up BLM, he brings up other instances, critical race theory. We had done a similar segment to this previously about the term woke and how the media was making everybody define woke. And in many ways we're looking at a a very similar scenario here where this term is put out there and by it being out there and by you responding to it, you've already lost. And as Coglin says, you're in quicksand. Christian nationalism is an information campaign designed to synchronize with January 6th narratives. Okay. Christian nationalism is an information campaign Designed to coordinate with January 6th narratives. If somebody asks you what is Christian nationalism, that's the response. Or a response along those lines is the response you should be well trying to issue. Well, hold on a second, because people are gonna people aren't gonna ask you what is what is Christian nationalism. That's the question you need to give 
somebody who asks you if you are a Christian nationalist, you have to say, well, what is that? And well, make them I talk th- about it. The only so way out of it is I- to make them talk about it. No, well, I, that's not what Coglin says. What Coglin is saying, is, in, in my view, it, it could be almost like what you said. If somebody asks you, are you a Christian nationalist? You don't respond with yes or no. You respond with this definition of Christian nationalism as a term, which is the accurate and effective way to push back against the attack. Yeah, but give me give me that in practical. In pre- are, you, are you about to play that in practical? <laughs> How that would I'm actually play a work? little bit. <laughs> I got to play a little bit more of it. It listen, this stuff is. I sometimes have to listen to him talk five times to get it in my head. Like, what is he trying to teach us right now? And it's it, but it is it is simpler than it sounds. Okay, but that's why I asked well, you. Go ahead. Go are ahead. you? Are you a Christian nationalist? And your response was no. And I, according to Coglin's presentation here, I would say that's the wrong answer. No, I got, I got Not- you. I, I agree with you that that's the wrong answer. This is what I'm saying. But you don't want to end up in a debate with them. Right. Because then sure. you're still so, taking part in, in the exercise right, they so want his, you in. Right. But so his argument is... I believe, and we'll listen to a little bit more of that now, I just wanted to stop it there, is that this is the way to not end up in the argument. This is the way to not engage. Go for it. Christian nationalism is an information campaign to not designed to synchronize with January 6th narratives, the January 6th narrative. Reading these Twitter feeds, three things will emerge. One, they say what they think, so you really don't have to assess what they're saying at this level of analysis. He, he's... During his presentation, he's showing tweets and stuff from January 6th equating J6 to Christian nationalism. So that's what he's referring to here. Two, they're broadcasting it openly through Twitter and in the media. We're seeing that. And three, the little political warfare point is they are so confident that they're in charge, they're engaging what's called open communication. It directly attacks American Christians for being American Christians for being politically active. As such, it's an attack on identity. It denies your right to say that you're an American, that you're a Christian. Think about it. LGBT says you're not allowed to call yourself a woman if you're a woman, or a man if you're a man. When you add up all these intersectional lines of attack, they have destroyed your your ability to call yourself a person. When you have a term that is created for the purpose of attacking you, that it doesn't become real till you respond to it. So he's saying the term doesn't become real until you respond to it. And then once you respond to it, you're captured by it. So everything from that moment forward, there's actually actually a methodology involved in this. It's not just an opinion when I say that. The minute you respond to critical race theory, now that's all you're talking about. And now it's a series of defenses where the entire narrative doesn't admit your right to have a defense. So my take on it would be you don't engage at all. You recognize that it's an information campaign designed to delegitimize you, and the very response to it in that narrative in any way is itself a defeat. And here's one more. I think you would say, if I respond by saying, I'm not a, I'm not a uh, racist in the, in the critical race theory, now you're in a defense. Now he's talking critical race theory, but that this is all in the context of the Christian nationalism discussion, and the terms can be used interchangeably here in his explanation of it. 
That's what I'm talking about. The other way, that, it takes a little time to figure out how to maneuver the space. The other way of saying it, you know, critical race theory is just an attack narrative. We're not going to engage in that. Christian nationalism is just an attack narrative. We're not going to engage in that. Good luck. I'm going to tell Good you why it's that, an attack though. narrative. It comes from this source. This source only exists to delegitimize the people they're going after. And, you know, you build on that. So you basically, you basically the, frame, the, the phrase that's used in, the, in that type of, um, in that type of uh, intersectionality attack is reify. Critical race theory meant nothing when they wrote about it. It only meant something when you responded to it. And then the game was on, but you're now in quicksand. Um, so Jeremy, yeah, I, I get what he's saying, but it's not realistic. Because you're not going to be able to download instructions to the entirety of the Christian community not to engage in this. No, it's already too late. Right, it's already too late. So like, I, I don't find what he's saying, it's, it's, it's educational, but I don't find it to be practical. Think about it this way. Let's suppose you were to say a hand grenade. If somebody throws a hand grenade at you, it's not dangerous until you touch it. Well, okay, so don't touch the hand grenade. But the problem is that eventually some kid is going to come wandering around and he's not going to know, don't touch the hand grenade, and he's going to touch the hand grenade, and the hand grenade's going to go off. You have to somehow deal with the hand grenade. And the hand grenade right here is Christian nationalism. And so then you have these groups getting together, having these big Christian nationalism conferences right. now. Yes. Where these pastors, who I respect, um, you know, are participating, I think, with good intent and goodwill <laughs> to try to, uh, you know, not shepherd the flock into the middle of combat fire. Right. But they should be holding the a very, conference that's about about the the, the, very, new, the next and, Marxist attack against them. That's what the conference right, should but be the, about. The very the very uh, you know the, the the very existence of this conference happening and having this discussion is part of the attack that's designed to destroy yeah, you. I think you're <laughs> so right. So that you so that you sit here and have these discussions, and so that you have people like Vody Bauckham and James White debate with people like Stephen Wolf and the others who are going to be pushing, uh, you know, and Doug Wilson. There's a lot of different people who are, who are saying, yeah, we need to, you know, uh, wrap the cross in the flag and uh, this is the direction we need to go. And then you have other people saying, hold on a minute, you know, that's not the, the Great Commission. And it starts turning into this theological and doctrinal debate. And meanwhile, I think what Coglin's pointing out is if you're doing that, you're, you're just absorbing the fire. And there's no way out of it. And I agree with you. You're right. And what's the practical application there? And that's why I said it. It it's it's really too late. And unfortunately, a lot of if you if you start to pay attention to Steve Coughlin, a lot of the things he talks about like this, it's too late to deal with. And I that disagree. Was whole, I don't think it's too late, Jeremy. It's not too it's, late. They just need to start having conferences that that are right. examining the Marxist attack against them. But, okay, and that's, but that's the, the next the point I was going to make. You know? Right, and that's the next point I was going to make, is that, because we've talked about these, and used his 
his metaphor of the airplane flying overhead, launching these bombs at us. And by the time those bombs hit us, you know, we're just dazed and confused and we don't know how to deal with it. And, and what it is is, and I think when you look at our segment on the term woke, when you look at this segment here, I'm hopeful that this is starting to convey this type of pattern of attack, okay, which should help us to become more cognizant of these types of attack when they come against us in the future in with different terms and in other ways so that we don't fall into the trap of responding, which is what he says, we respond, we engage, then we're falling victim no matter what without realizing this is itself an intersectional or a dialectical attack against us. But it's this type of knowledge, I think, and this type of understanding of the way in which these critical theory Marxists are implementing and attacking that over a long period of time, like the next 15 to 20 years, where we're actually sort of getting back to a fair fight again. Not something that's going to happen in the next six months. It's not something that's going to happen in the next year or two years, or if Trump gets reelected or somebody better comes along, it, it takes a different understanding of what a narrative war and this narrative battle that we're in to be able to have a more fair fight. Right. We, we basically all have to develop the muscle by which to see, by which to perceive these, th this narrative warfare that we're engaged in. And it's a muscle that's very, very weak for most of us. And hopefully the Truth Bait podcast and this kind of analysis is going to help all of us. Uh, I'm learning to develop that muscle as we're doing this. Hopefully other people are as well. Um, so I think that, you know, I think this is sort of just a beginning and, and just an intro into what this this line of effort is. Um, but as as you, you know, I know we have a lot of uh, believing Christians that listen to the show. I know we have a lot of non-believing, non-Christians that listen to the show. Um, but if you... If you're a, if you if you're in either one of those groups and you tend to agree or find yourself in some sort of alignment with the things that Andrew and I are talking about, you're a Christian nationalist. We are all Christian nationalists now. Well, and frankly, it is the truth. If you're and not if a progressive, you, you are a Christian nationalist because you are in the bucket. And that was sort of the point I was trying to make. And, is, and, and if you're not a Christian nationalist like Andrew, <laughs> who is a Christian nationalist, <laughs> who's not a Christian nationalist, you're a Christian nationalist. And if you're not a Christian nationalist and you say you're not a Christian nationalist, but you think some of the things we say make sense, you're a Christian nationalist. <laughs> 
and you're going to be in that paradigm and you're going to be in that line of fire that that narrative term has been created to destroy. So whichever, wherever you find yourself spiritually, um, you are likely to find yourself in the middle of this attack. I think the mm. proper response, if anybody asks you if you're a Christian nationalist, is to respond with a very maniacal laugh. Uh, something that, uh, let's see. Uh, no, I'm a Satanist. <laughs> yeah, right. I worship Satan. <laughs> and Karl Marx. Carl yeah. and Satan are my two best friends. That's what I and think. Then invi- <laughs> and then they'll invite you over to dinner. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jeremy, that is. Uh, thank you very much. I don't know if you have more uh, with that, but I had you've one got so other far, clip. That's fantastic. I had one other clip, and it's just something I also think to be looking out for because it's not something that's just coming out of like sort of the Christian community or the or the pastor conferences, pastoral conferences, and such. Um, but this is uh, General Flynn. 75, 80%, and not standing there and pretending the, of our Constitution, of our way of life in this country is based on biblical principles. That's what pastors need to be doing. That's what a pastor does when they're leading their flock, and not standing there and pretending, pretending like they know a lot of verses in the Bible, which I don't. All I know is that they can't preach that without that thing called the United States Constitution constitution he says and that was in the middle of a rant at he's been having some of these sort of like kind of tent revival rallies going on around the country and the christian nationalism type of pride is really screaming at those events and that's what he's yeah, he strikes me of, as somebody who would be a embracing the term christian nationalist and that's what he is. He is doing that, and he's pushing it, and he's sitting here saying to pastors that basically this is what you need to be teaching from your pulpits, and at the same time, he's saying that he doesn't know verses in the Bible, <laughs> and you know, and and he's sort of elevating the Constitution over the Bible, which is a, a Christian. I believe a Bible believing Christian would never do. Um, so what do you think and, he's up to? I, I don't know. You know, I, I would hate to think ill of him. He seems to be a, a, a patriot. Um, but I, he's, I mean, he's the deep either, state appeared to destroy his life nearly. Seemed like it, but see now this is and where there, I think is some, and, right. But this is where I think there's some danger in the Christian nationalism, uh, topic where you've got prominent figures like him having these rallies and really championing this cause and people running around saying, you know, Flynn is my general and Trump is my president. And you're going to have a sedition case against you when you start doing stuff like that. Like this starts getting into dangerous territory when you have a you have a right to freedom of religion and freedom of speech and stuff 
But when you start saying things like that, you're starting to get into some dangerous territory when you look at who's in control and you look at what people are in jail for. So the reason I wanted to bring that but isn't clip... There, but isn't there an argument, uh, you know, that we should let that happen? Let people, you know, this is, it's gonna, I don't mean it as coldly as that sounds. I just mean it from a, let's take it from a realist perspective. How many eyes have been opened by the political prisoners from J6 that are rotting in jail right now? Well, a when lot, people are persecuted, sure. it opens people's eyes. No question about it. Um, and there's a lot of things, there are a lot of things that have happened over the last few years, I think, that were, you know, not good things like, COVID, for example, and lockdowns and loss of freedom and liberty that really that wasn't the loss had taken place a long time ago. And then those events opened our eyes to it as a real problem. Um, So if you're sort of saying like, well, if this sort of thing happens, would that open more people's eyes to it? Would that be, you know, potentially would potential good come from that well god uses all kinds of things that from our worldly perspective uh might seem horrible and wonder how could this happen for good so there's certainly you know potential for that if if that's what you're suggesting well, as even but, as 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 open as my eyes are to and have been to the to the 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 problem we face with Marxism in this in this country, even I was not aware that we had gotten so bad that we would have political prisoners. This so that even that that was eye opening even for me, and I like to pride myself as thinking I've got my eyes wide open. Yeah, I mean, I I think for any of us, I mean, I think you and I have been ringing the alarm for a long time. But did you know we were as far gone as having on. political prisoners? No, because I don't think until you really see it and until you're really living in it, you actually understand, you know, the reality of, of how destructive and devastating it can be or what it can be like. And I think we still haven't seen it. Right. Your brain tricks you. You, you don't want to think it's true. Uh, and they use that against would, us, frankly. <laughs> but I would say, don't go around saying Flynn is my general and Trump is my president to find out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's better to not go to jail for sedition or seditious <laughs> treason. It's better to stay out and understand what's going on and help other people understand what's going on and recognize and realize that we are in uh, for a long, uh, long battle. Uh, we are, but I disagree my, with Jeremy. We need martyrs. Please martyr yourself and continue <laughs> to listen to the Truth Bait podcast. <laughs> uh, I do. I do believe the Bible and God and good will uh, win. They've already won, uh, but we are still living out uh, His plan and. Uh, I'm going to try to live it out uh, from my basement doing the Truth Bait podcast rather than calling into the Gateway Pundit from a prison cell in D.C. <laughs> I do not want to be on the receiving end of one of those fundraisers. Yeah. yeah I'm going to play. I'm just, uh, I have no idea what this is. This is, this is the clip that Janice from Arizona sent. 
It's 25 minutes long. This is completely random. Who knows if this is going to be at all useful. Let's just play 10 seconds of it. The fertility and the sexuality of their wives and daughters. Eugenicists, medical professionals, many prominent folks of whom were Unitarians in our history. We need to grapple with that. This is from the first Unitarian Society of Milwaukee. That's all I'm going to play. I like it already. I'm going to I'm going to go through but this I'll, and uh, I will and get you clips, uh, Jeremy. I like this. Yeah, I'll have to look at it. I suspect uh, usually Unitarian Church is uh, more aligned with Marxist philosophy. Well, that's what might make this very interesting. But could be very interesting. Yeah, I, 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 that's amazing uh, that she's calling out to. their own involvement in eugenics. I, I, any mention of eugenics at all. I wish I could hear anybody mention eugenics at Temple. Well, we didn't really get the context, though. We don't know if she was calling We're it bad. out. No, you're right. She, she might, might have be been calling out it. the people that call it out. <laughs> right? I have a feeling. I don't know. I'm just making I don't know. I, uh, but we're going to listen through that, and, and uh, I'll, I'll come back. and Maybe I'll have something ready for the next episode. On that. Meanwhile. We'll I think it's something, in order for this to work, Jeremy, for this to be an educational program that wakes people up and opens people's eyes, we can't just cover this sort of thing once. We are going to have to cover this topic ag- oh, again yeah. and this, again, so and this understand. is and this is really just I think starting to bubble into the mainstream and it's it's still part of setting up for this major offensive attack against people who like America basically and people who think America was inherently good from its inception and you're going to be lumped into the category of Christian nationalist and that is going to be used to normalize attacks uh, against Christians. It's going to be used to normalize discrimination against Christians, and you're likely to be lumped into that uh, category because Christian nationalism, I think as I've displayed here, does not mean you are a Christian that believes in a Christian theocracy in America. Christian nationalism might mean that for some, but for anybody that has any sort of pro-American conservative type values, those have all been attached to the term Christian nationalism, and they've been attached to racism, Nazism, xenophobia, homophobia, whatever negative term they can draw across their intersectional battle line toward you. So it's it. we're going to be talking about it more. This was uh, since some people were texting me about it last week, and I don't hang out on Twitter, so I actually was unaware that it started trending, but I have been aware of all of this stuff for quite a while and kind of been waiting or wondering when was the appropriate time to start uh, bringing it into the truth bait conversation. I hope it has been uh, helpful to people. If anybody asks me if I'm a Christian nationalist, uh, I'm going to say Christian nationalism is an attack designed to destroy me. <laughs> uh, just like I wouldn't define the term woke anymore. Uh, that woke is also the result of a dialectical attack and um, their terms and their terms that are very powerful and they're used uh, to defeat us. Ask me so, again if I'm a Christian nationalist. Are you a Christian nationalist, Andrew? No, I'm a drag queen. 
Find a drag queen I dance for children at libraries. Aren't you? Okay. You? <laughs> that's I think that's a good response. Yeah. Just you know, so. just turn it turn it around. So. Make it absurd. Don't give them a serious response. Make them feel stupid for asking the question. So, on a brighter note, I was uh if you recall, I had mentioned getting attacked at church this weekend by a farmer. Viciously. Yes. And uh, <laughs> over some comments about the environment and comments that uh, Robert Kennedy had made. You had brought, When we did the big episode about Robert Kennedy Jr., um, you had sort of raised a red flag about his environmental activism. I, by the I way, bit- I have a new producer. Since we're talking about JFK, I'll just insert this real quick. JFK, uh, this is from uh, Al in Joliet, who has not made an appearance on this show yet. Al in in Joliet, you are you're one of our producers this week. Al sent in. I don't have. I couldn't find the 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 clip, so I'm just gonna. I'll just tell you. He said that uh, uh, Joe Rogan had talked about Kennedy's uh, voice, the 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 clear vocal impairment that he has. And he said that uh, that Rogan had mentioned that it was uh, his understanding was that it was from a bad reaction to a vaccine or some virus. I went looking for it. I couldn't find the quote anywhere. I couldn't. I, I, I went searching. Al and Joliet, if you happen to know where you heard that, please, if you can, find the clip and send it to us, or you know, send me the show and let me know where where in the show it is, and I'll I'll find it. Uh, but I found that very interesting, and I just wanted to say thank you to Al and Joliet. Thank you, Al. Yes. Um, so back to where I was. We, you had brought a clip about Kennedy's environmental activism, and I was a bit defensive of him uh, to an extent, and was saying that I sort of liked a little bit of it because I thought he was bringing in, um, changing the debate a little bit from you know the left media side and the Fox media side of there's no such thing as global warming or pollution. And then the other side saying, you know, you need to, if you keep driving your car everywhere you go, the whole planet is going to melt. And um, I saw that he had made some, and I was having a conversation with somebody else, uh, another, another listener that uh, really likes Kennedy, but is a little worried about his, Pro, he said, pro environment stance, and I was like, I'm pro environment, but I know what he meant. <laughs> right. You know, it's like, I mean, you know, because I don't think uh, he was anti environment, but it, that's how we're programmed now. Like, if somebody like you can only be pro environment if you're a leftist, you know, and I, I don't think that's the case. But anyways, I saw this headline pop up yesterday, I think, on Gateway uh, pundit, and it is. Uh, Kennedy on uh, Kim Iverson, uh, who has a show on the Hill, and he's talking about uh, climate change. And I thought this would be uh, help to give a little more context, at least of where he might be standing now, because I know that clip that we brought previously was a a little bit older, uh, and we also didn't have the full context of that clip. But here we go. Climate issues and Pollution issues are being exploited by, you know, the, the World Economic Forum and Bill Gates and all of these uh, big 
you know, mega billionaires, the same way that COVID was exploited, uh, to use it as an excuse to clamp down top-down totalitarian controls on society and to um, and then to give us engineering solutions. And if you look closely, as it turns out, the guys who are promoting those engineering solutions are the people who, who own the IPs, the patents for those solutions. Oh, it's a way, you know, it's there. It's being used. They've given climate uh, chaos a bad name, you know, because people now see that it's just another crisis that's being used to strip mine the wealth of the poor and to, you know, to enrich billionaires. And, uh, you know, I, I for 40 years have had the same policy on climate and engineering. You can go check my speeches from the 1980s. And I've said, the most important solution for environmental issues is not top-down controls. It's free market capitalism. Folks, I'm telling you right now, Kennedy is polling at about 20% on the Democrat side. If that... That was a clip. Uh, that clip must have been pulled by Infowars. That sounds. I was going like, to say, is that uh, Orange, Owen Schroer or something like that? Yeah, so it looks like he... I, I found it off of Twitter, and yeah, it looks like there's an Infowars tag on it. So he must have pulled the clip uh, from the hill. But uh, I don't know. What do you think about that? Do you think he sounds uh, like an environmental wacko? He doesn't. But, you know, in his in his speech where he announced that he was running for president, he talks about the environment in that. The thing that struck me, he's very much against, you know, industry, strip mining the country. Okay. Well, that's, I, I agree. But the only way that we are going to find our way out of this uh, mega trillion dollar debt that we are in is to drill oil and sell it, period. There's nothing else we have. And we have oil in abundance. And I'm not sure he's on board for that. Is he because because what what we need is somebody to reverse course on this destruction of the oil industry? Do you think he? Where do you think he is on that? I don't know. I haven't I haven't heard him talk about it. Um, I think that like this particular clip here, what it does for me, at least, and and again, I I don't know what his stance on oil is, but he sounds like somebody. You could have an honest discussion with. Yes, a hundred percent. He sounds like he sounds like somebody that you could have an honest debate with that looks at the merits of different arguments to do your best to make an informed, educated decision on something that's not. He's not he doesn't sound like somebody that's rigid, hard line, you know, Marxist. Buried, these these environmentalists are in the ground. Right. And said, No, you're gonna ride your bike everywhere for the rest of your right. life no, and you're he's never not gonna to eat that. a steak again. Yeah, I agree. So so, you know, just 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 on that premise right there, I find him to be a very intriguing and and potentially very good candidate, especially if uh, you're going to vote for Kennedy, aren't you? There's no question that I would. <laughs> Ab- 
I absolutely <laughs> You're would. endorsing and Kennedy. I, you're going to you're going to go door to door for him, aren't you? You're a and Kennedy I said man. It, and I said it in the episode uh, we talked about him in A New Hope. Um, it, Who was your favorite Kennedy? Was it John John? I oh, See, and I don't know anything about those guys. <laughs> I didn't study those guys. You know, John Kennedy had some, some Marxists in the Department of Justice in his administration. Did he put them there? I don't know. Or were they already there? You know, that I don't know. Have we misunderstood it the Kennedys seems- all along? It's cer- I'm certainly at a point where I'm willing to accept that possibility. Yeah, but it was the Ken- I don't it was know the Kennedys. That. No, I think I think there's just a lot of variety in that family. The, there uh, might just be a lot of variety in the, the Kennedys family. Put Biden in office. It was the Kennedy endorsement that put him over the top. Yeah, fake, fake wise. <laughs> but I will say that where things are at now, and I think that Trump had a lot to do with it. I said it before, turning things from left and right to up and down. And I think Kennedy is uh, playing a similar role in that. And if something happens to Trump where he ends up uh, in a military prison in Guantanamo Bay or something, you know, I'm rolling with Kennedy before I roll with any Republican. I think that is probably a statement I can get right behind. I can't see any of these people actually disrupting the situation. And I think he's a disruptor. Yeah. I think he's desynchronizing them and their attacks. There's that word and, desynchronizing. I like that. And and that's why uh he's getting iced out in media. But you told me you had a clip. You had a clip of uh he was getting censored or something. Oh, that's right. Hang on a second. I'm going to have to pull that up. Hold on. Hold on. But so I think just like to me, you listen to this guy talk. He's not. He's just not an idealistic, true believing Marxist, which is like the kind of guy that marches in the May Day parade, right. the May Day march, right? Who really believes that they are going to bring about a utopia or some sort of utopian communist communal type society. That's a true believer, right? And then there are there there are Dick different Durbins. You got the Dick Durbins. Right. The there are the Dick Durbins and the Obamas and the Bill Ayers. They're destroyers. They're the ones really sinister. No, Durbin's not a destroyer. Durbin is an opportunist. Obama's <laughs> okay, definitely maybe. a destroyer. But they are the ones that know there is no better world on the other side of their revolution. They are the ones that know that what they do is going to make everything worse, but they hate the world we live in so much, and they hate God so much that they just want to destroy it. So I don't think Kennedy is that. At all? No, I don't. I don't think he is. And they hate him. They they absolutely hate him, which makes me love him. <laughs> that's it. that's it. Frankly, that was one of the things that made me love Trump was how much they hated him. The media hates him so much. He was on ABC News. Uh, a lot of people may have heard of this. Uh, they edited him. They they censored him. Which, if I'm not mistaken, that's illegal to do to a declared presidential candidate. I don't believe that any of these. FCC uh, uh, regulated entities are allowed to do that. I think they broke the law in doing this. Here's 
Here's the clip. I have it in, in two different clips. The here, first is is a, a little piece of of the segment where they where they clipped him. You've said in the past that there is a, a correlation between uh, vaccines leading to autism. That's totally been debunked. Wait a minute. Who debunked it? We have not seen any kind of scientific connection from the CDC, the World Health Organization, but, the National Academy of Sciences. Those organizations are captive agencies, Lindsay. And so you think they're all in cahoots? Yeah, they're all captive. You've discussed the Kennedy family. And as there like was an edit there. Family, there are disagreements. And now they're talking about Kennedys. Then it was an, by, it was an by obvious the way, edit. By the way, his use of the term captive agency demonstrates a more sophisticated awareness of the situation at hand mm -hmm. with regard to the media, government, and all of this bureaucracy. Well, I'm surprised they didn't edit that how part operating. They right. should have edited that so, part because that's the more dangerous part. So here, here's what, at the end of the interview, uh, ABC News makes this disclaimer. We should note that during our conversation, Kennedy made false claims about the COVID-19 vaccines. Data shows that the COVID-19 vaccines prevented millions of hospitalizations and deaths from the disease. He also made misleading claims about the relationship between vaccination and autism. I have to say, she sounds a little bit like a hostage <laughs> reading a statement that's been prepared to her by her terrorist captors at, at Pfizer. He also made misleading claims about the relationship between vaccination and autism. Research shows that vaccines and the ingredients used for the vaccines do not cause autism, including multiple studies involving more than a million children and major medical associations like the American Academy of Pediatrics and the advocacy group Autism Speaks. We've used our editorial judgment in not including extended portions of that exchange in our interview. We thank Mr. Kennedy for the conversation. <laughs> we thank you for the conversation who? that we got. Do you know who that was? Do you know who that was? That was ABC, you said? Yeah. Do you know who it was? Uh, I don't. I mean, it does. It sounds absurd. Would you have, would you, like Her, 20 years ago, would you have ever imagined like a reporter reading that type of No, it's completely response? insane. I mean, I, I, I don't know who it was. I do believe that there are many reporters in the media that are part of the destroyer team in the revolution. And I think there are a lot of others that are in the true believer camp. And there are probably many of them that have to be sitting there like scratching their heads saying, what in the world am I reading right now? I'm not saying that's her, the case with her. Oh, no. I think if you were to, I, if I knew Morris Code, I would be looking for her to see what she's blinking with her eyes. <laughs> help me. Somebody help me. <laughs> Get me out of this segment. I, I didn't like what he was saying, but I wasn't looking to do this. Right? Like you, you, you'd almost think like they'd be thinking, like a lot of times when I, if I'm interviewing somebody, like, I mean, I've never, f after interviewing, uh, you know, some sort of Antifa activist or or even Bill Ayers or, or anybody for that matter, Jesse Jack, I've interviewed a lot of people who are spokespeople and they blatantly lie about what they're saying. And I don't feel compelled to go back later and say these things he said were completely untrue. I I and think I ended that it out my, whole sections because of <laughs> Lindsay, right, Lindsay Davis my, is Lin, Lindsay Davis. Yeah, I think that my audience, if they're my audience, if they're watching the content that I produce, then they're 
generally sophisticated enough to understand that. And usually there's some other context to the comments that they're making that highlight that. You don't need to say it. You know, they, but they had, don't they know that they're building him up by doing that? Aren't they smart enough in that newsroom to know that by even just editing him and making that comment that it's just going to blow the whole thing up even bigger than, than if they had just left it in? That's what I'm not sure of. And I think that we are in a place where many of the viewers, many a large percentage of the general public has been successfully demoralized to the point that they no longer are able to distinguish between the truth and fiction. And I think that's what they're betting on when they say things like that. Mm. I think there are there but are people none like of us, us would have ever known about that, inter- that there, interview. There are, there, there are people like us, okay, who will watch that. People like us, Christian nationalists yeah. specifically, <laughs> who will watch that and and be keenly aware of the lies that were being fed. But then there are many others that are uh, completely demoralized and are completely incapable. Uh, they're the people that are walking around Chicago pushing no, strollers, I'm t- I'm thinking about everything in their is newsroom. okay. I'm talking about producers in their newsroom. Think about this for a second, Jeremy. Let's give them a little bit more credit than the average person walking down the street because they're producing this content. So they they they're probably pretty you know tuned into what effect it will have. They had to know that when they did that and they made the public comment about it, that their story was no longer about Kennedy in his interview. Their story was about open censorship. And let me be cynical. That's huge clicks for them. They took an interview that almost nobody would have seen, and now everybody is talking about it. And if you believe that there's no such thing as bad press, maybe this is just exactly what they want. All of a sudden, we know there's somebody named Lindsay Davis. I had no idea who that was. Wouldn't have known her name. Maybe. It, it that, seems so blatant. So I'm more inclined. I'm more inclined to think that with Trump, that the way they attack him and tear him down, uh, that it, it's, it's designed to actually raise him up because he's like the binary of Biden and the left. He's like the other extreme. And as long as those two camps are existing, they're able to control us. I don't know that that's the case, but sometimes I have that thought. You know, sometimes when you're thinking like, is Trump in on it? Right. You've told me that. You've said that to me. Like yeah, you, you still wonder don't know. sometimes. Sometimes, I don't, I don't sometimes know. you wonder like the way some of the things he does and some of the people he hired and you're kind of like hold on. Like we can all see that was not a good move. What what's going on here? He's still out, he still hasn't really uh rescinded all of his vaccine pushing. Is That's he captured? led to people dying? Give him time. Give him time. He's yeah. going to have to address it. So but which is more likely? Is it more likely that he's got, you know, some sort of sinister motives and that he's in on the take? No. Or that he's being built up by them as a controlled opposition unknowingly and playing right into their hands? That's more likely. I think and that- Kennedy, same thing could be happening to Kennedy, but I, I, I don't know. I, I I think Kennedy's a disruptor for sure. He's like, man, now what? Are, now they've got this Democrat there they got to deal with. Well, um, d- uh, but I like him. But I like him. Yeah, I do too. I like him in the race. 
I like it all, but I'm sure at some point I'll be disappointed because <laughs> it seems to be the way it goes. <laughs> they build you up, you like something, and then they just rip it away. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to play just real quick before we wrap out because we're hitting the two the two hour mark. I saw on Not the Bee this post. How much? Watch how much this family spent at Disney in a single day. How much do you think? $1,700. So here's how much we spent at Disney day two of five. A mediocre breakfast at Hollywood and Vine cost us $223. And I've had the breakfast from Disney. It is vile. It is the most under... It is... I'm sorry, overpriced, overvalued meal. It's it's terrible. A mediocre breakfast at Hollywood and Vine cost us $223. Then and it looks like they have three kids. We headed over to Toy Story Land, and even with Lightning Lane, we still only got to ride one ride. Ice cream was $25, and popcorn was $16. Then over at Galaxy's Edge, three lightsabers cost us a whopping $800. They also no longer hold them for you until the end of the day. Plus, different airlines have different restrictions when flying home, so we opted to ship them to us for an additional cost. Can you imagine spending $800 on lightsabers, Jeremy? I can't believe they're not allowed on airplanes. <laughs> this woman clearly has white privilege. If you're you spending $800 on on. Lightsabers, you are a white Christian nationalist. <laughs> Could you imagine somebody hijacking a plane with a lightsaber? <laughs> <laughs> That's why some airlines won't even allow them on. It's too dangerous. <laughs> Every ride had a 120-minute wait time, so we only got to ride one ride in this section of the park as well. We tried the infamous blue and green milk and had lunch at Backlot and funnel cakes at Epic East. PhotoPass was an extra $170 for cell phone quality pictures. And finally, we had dinner at Planet Hollywood. Factoring in our nightly hotel rate of $997 brings our total to $3,758 for the day. For the day. Take out the lightsabers. You're still at $3,000 a day for three kids. Ladies and gentlemen, our corporate sponsor for today's episode has been Disney World. <laughs> no, our corporate sponsor for today is uh, Universal Studios. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Their competitor next door. <laughs> yeah. Sign me up. Yeah, let's go to the family vacation. No, thank you. Just, Jeremy, don't get the lightsabers. It is totally affordable after that. They spent $800 on three lightsabers. Couldn't they get one lightsaber? <laughs> That's not equitable, Jerry. Jerry. I don't, Jeremy. Her, re her report was biased. She, they didn't need to buy those $900 worth of lightsabers. That racked their daily total up from the 2000 range to the 3000 range. See how you can manipulate data? That was an unfair, unfair swipe at Disney, she took. Thank you for listening, everybody. I hope this was a very educational show for you. It was for me. Jeremy, thank you very much for that analysis. I am wiser you. for it. I, you, you, brought me, uh, you brought me so much uh, joy reminiscing about my days in the field at the May Day <laughs> marches. Get your flowers, everybody. We should go next year and pass out flowers. 
Wait, if they were really so concerned with like, you know, random shootings of people who just knock on other people's doors, what are they doing ringing doorbells? Aren't they afraid they're going to get their heads blown off? <laughs> no, they're the people that are part of that group. They don't they don't know it's dangerous in that city. <laughs> Write us a truth at truthbait.com and listen to the podcast every Tuesday and Friday where we bring you a fresh, brand new episode without fail. To the best of our ability. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Marcus. And now back into this. Oh, no, wait. Stay out of the sea of clickbait for a second. We need a secret word. Oh, the secret word is... Popcorn. Uh, The secret word is $25 popcorn. I think I'm offended by that secret word. (laughs) (laughs) All right, $25 popcorn, secret word. And now back into the sea of clickbait with you all. 